So the pauses for everybody online comes back on right as that video ends as that little bumper. So welcome, welcome to everybody who's online and welcome to everybody who is here today. Uh, excited to have you here. You heard um, Brian mentioned communion is going to be after the service. We'll have some worship songs and you'll have a chance to, to share in communion, both on the left and on the right-hand side on the sides. If you are online and have not ran and got your communion elements, now would be the time to do that. You can grab uh, some uh, crackers, bread, whatever, and uh, some juice or wine or whatever you want, and then you can share communion at the same time from your home. You know, when they actually did communion back in the day of Jesus and, uh, and afterwards of the early church, they actually did it as part of an entire evening meal or time together and, and kind of shared it. So they, they really took their time. Today, we do it at kind of a high-speed deal, you know, uh, go and get it. And, we, and we, the bread is a bro the broken body and the, the juice is a, to commemorate the blood that Jesus shed and, and all that. And, and we take them kind of usually fairly quickly together. And then and even this today, we'll have, a, we'll have some worship. While that's going on, you'll be able to do it by yourselves. But it will be a much faster uh, occasion than actually they took their time with it uh, back in the time of the early church. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll jump into God's word. Thank you, Jesus, so much for the chance to come today and hear from you. And that is our heart's desire. So I pray that you would give us ears to hear actually from you. And I pray for those who might be listening in, those who might be here, that question whether or not they can hear from you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would surprise them by speaking to them through your word and that you would bring it to life because of that. Thank you that you are able to do that. Thank you that you want to be in relationship with us. And so you want to not only speak to us, but you also hear us. And we just thank you for those things in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we are kicking off this series, this summer series called A Summer with Jesus, and uh, we will be looking at things that apply to us personally based on what Jesus did or what Jesus said. And so uh, today I'm going to be sharing an amazing story to you, uh, a miraculous thing that Jesus did that applies to us personally each one of us. But before we jump into that, and by the way, uh, the story I'm going to share with you comes from Matthew chapter 8, the first four verses. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Uh, I would encourage you to go back and read Matthew chapters 5 to 7, leading up to those first four verses in chapter 8, only because that gives you the background of things that Jesus said prior to the story that we'll actually be talking about in just a moment. But before I tell you that, I need to tell you something that, that happened to me uh, fairly recently. It was, it was kind of weird and kind of perplexing, and believe it or not, it actually does tie into the message, so hang in there with me. But uh, here's what happened. I, I recently had two friends who were uh, potentially terminally ill. One had COVID and he was on a respirator. The other one, the doctors told him, you have cancer and you have it quite bad. His PSA was off the charts. And they said, you have it very bad. We're just not sure exactly where it's at. So we need to do a PET scan and figure out where it's at so we can figure out a treatment process. So I had been praying for both of those guys. I asked the prayer team here. They were praying for him. We were all praying passionately that God would touch them and somehow miraculously heal them. And then one morning, I get this text early in the morning, and the text tells me that my friend Billy, who had COVID, had passed away. And uh, 
I was kind of dealing with that, thinking about that and all that that meant. And uh, about two and a half hours later, I got another text. And this text told me that my friend Terry had just gotten back all the results from the PET scan and the doctors do not understand it. He is miraculously, absolutely cleared of cancer. There is no cancer, the doctor said. We can't, his PSA had come back down to normal and everything else. And I thought, what in the world? Lord, we prayed the same way for both of these guys. And one of them you took home and one of them you miraculously healed. I don't get it. What was going on? I, 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 I don't know why you chose to do that for the one and, and this for the other one, and, and I'm trying to figure this out. And, and so I began to pray about it. I said, Lord, would you speak to me? Would you show me what in the world is going on there? And then God reminded me that when we sincerely come to him and ask him to touch us, that he does not ignore us, that he hears us, but that the touch may not come in the way we expect. And he said, do you think that Billy's sorry to be home? And I thought, no, I, I, I know he knew where he was going and all that stuff. And he said, yeah, Mama, I will, I will, I've heard your prayers. And I will, when someone comes and asks me in all sincerity, I will touch them, but it may or may not be in the way that they expect. It will be done from my perspective, which by the way, will be the best because I've got all of eternity in mind when I make my decisions. Wow, and then I was talking, my wife and I were talking about it, and she reminded me that Jesus didn't always have God respond in the way he seemed to expect. Picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, on his face, on the ground. The Bible tells us that he was so, there was so much anxiety that he was sweating like great drops of blood as he prayed and said, Father, Father, let this cup pass from me. And then, of course, you know that he concluded that by saying, but not my will, your will be done. And in that particular case, God did not answer him with yes and remove that cup from him. But what he did do is he did bring a touch to him. He brought it, so the Bible tells us he brought ministering angels to him who ministered to him, preparing him for what was about to come. And then I stop and I think, and I wait a minute now. I remember that multiple times Jesus told the people, I only say what the Father told me to say, and I only do what the Father tells me to do. Wait a minute, then. Wait, you mean to tell me the Father allowed him to pray that prayer, knowing that he wasn't going to answer it with a yes, but with a, I will give you a touch and help you walk through that? Yeah, yeah. So God himself is saying, I'm available. I will touch you. I will minister to you. But it may not be like you expect. And so the question then comes, do we trust him to minister in the way that is actually best for us? From the whole, from the back, pulling back from the scope of eternity. So as I thought about that, I thought, okay, Lord, I get it. When we sincerely come to you, you're absolutely willing to touch us in ways that you know are best, but may or may not be like we expect. And I can praise you in either one of those cases. 
right? So I can say, Lord, thank you for the response with Billy because you did what you wanted to do there. Thank you for the response with Terry because you understand this. And I sit there and go, wow, I'm trying to deal with this, what seems like completely different messages, but I've got one loving God who says, I love you more than anything else. I want to be in relationship with you. Let me walk you through this. So today, as we look at this scripture, you know, sometimes when we read a story in the Bible, uh, it tells us, it's very factual. You know, it gives us, it tells us what happened. So we know exactly what happened, but we don't know what went on before it. And a lot of times we don't know what went on after it. We're just kind of given a sliver in time, this kind of snapshot. And, and, and so we got that story. And this is the case of this story in Matthew 8 in the first four verses. Have any of you ever watched The Chosen or any parts of The Chosen? Raise your hands if you have. Yeah, okay. Those of you who have not, I want to encourage you to do it. It's, I don't, I don't um, promote Christian uh, movies or uh, series often because, honestly, <laughs> you all know. I got people smiling at me already. Yeah, you know, a lot of times they're kind of cheesy, aren't they? They're kind of not well done. The Chosen is really, from my perspective, is very well done. They don't try to uh, just tell you the story, they, but they tell you what might have happened before that. Not to detract from what actually happened, but to, to make what actually happened, to give it color, to give it life, to give us a better understanding of how it might have happened leading up to that particular circumstance and situation. So this morning, that's what I want to do with you. I want to give you a hypothetical background to this Matthew 8, first four, first four verses of it, and, um, and what happened. The miracle that happened is very clear in Scripture. That's, that's absolutely clear. But we're not told what happened right before that. So to increase your and my understanding, our reflection on it, I want to tell you what I think might have happened. It's one way it could have happened to get where we're going. Now, in order for you to really get the best from this message today, you need to, you need to stop for a second and put your mind in movie projector mode, Okay. Uh, I, I want you, as I describe it, I'd like you to picture it. It's the best way for you to really begin to understand, I think, what Jesus is talking about here and the, and the event that happened that we get a chance to look into from our perspective. So, so here we go. Now your mind wants to just start to be, be able to picture this. We're talking about the first century, a Jew living in Palestine, probably in Jerusalem, no paved roads, so picture this little town in the Middle East, no paved roads, no cars, no telephones. It's summertime. The air is filled with dust from people walking, just walking everywhere, walking, and animals stirred up by the thousands of, of people walking about the city. It's a dusty, busy, hot day. And now we see this man walking along at the end of his day of work, going home. And as he rounds the corner onto his street, he hears the excited yells of, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. And that, that results in him grabbing up little kids and speaking to them and kisses and hugs and questions about the day for, for them and for him. And he takes his children by hand and brings them into the house in the late afternoon sun. He steps through the door of his home to the smell of dinner cooking and Wow, he makes him, reminds him of how much he loves his wife and her cooking. And they sit down and to dinner together and give thanks for the food, and then they eat dinner. Just like most other nights. Nothing unusual, nothing peculiar. A wonderful, 
normal evening at home. He looks across the table at his children and over to his wife, and, and, and he's just reminded of this last 10 years with her and the children being born, and thinks to himself, you know, life may not be perfect, but it's pretty darn good. Even with all the concerns of the Romans occupying the country of the Jews and trying to please all the different people coming from all the different places and all the different political divides that are going on and, and the questions about work and the economy that might be happening and everything else, yet in the middle of that, he just couldn't help but think to himself, this, this here is what it's all about. This family, this table, this life. It's the best part of it. He gets up after dinner and whispers a few words of gratitude to his dear wife. See, they would not have that going on. They just wouldn't have a telephone going on. So you got to back the screen up right now in your mind, you know, and okay, let's get the projector going again forward, okay. Uh, and he gets up after dinner. He whispers a few words to his wife. And then it's just before he gets over to the wash basin to begin to help clean up, he, he looks at her and their eyes lock and, and the look between the two of them, actually, it just speaks volumes of affection without ever saying a word. He goes to the basin and begins to help with the cleanup. And, and as he's doing so, he notices there's, there's something in the water. What is it? It, 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 it looks like, like blood. Where's it coming from? He, has he cut himself? He didn't feel anything. There are no cuts. Why, why, why is there blood? He, he rolls his hands around looking for where, where that might be coming from. And, and then, then he, notices, he notices a little spot that, that, that blood seems to be oozing through near his wrist. And he th th thinks to himself, no, no, God, no. Don't, don't let it be. Don't let it be that. And then he's reminded of one that was up on his upper arm underneath his tunic that he had noticed just the last week. The, the sores look similar, and, and he tries to hide his panic, but it's too late. He looks out of the corner of his eye, and he notices his wife. Her face has gone pale, and, and he could see that she, too, is wondering what it could be, if it could be. And she says, what is it, honey? And he, 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 he knows that by the look in her eyes that she's afraid she might already know. And once again, their eyes lock, but this time there's a sense of fear and panic and overriding that love and sense of security. And in a strained voice, he says to her, it's probably just a rash. It'll go away. Uh, but, but, but I'll go to the priest tomorrow and have it looked at. Inside, he's afraid. He is scared to death of what it might be. He, he, he knows that, 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 that what it could be could be could change everything. And, and he feels cold and clammy and kind of sweaty, even though it's warm in the room. And, and he wants nothing more than just to be able to, to grab a hold of his wife and hold her and, and take his kids to him close to assure them and himself that it isn't true. It could not be that. But it would be unfair to them because because it could be so very dangerous, very contagious, because he realized he might have might have leprosy. And leprosy at that time was absolutely incurable. The most feared disease in the ancient world. Debilitating, disfiguring. He had seen 
He had seen the lepers, their repulsive, spongy, tumor-like swellings on their face and on their bodies. He had seen their bodies literally rotting away in pieces. And he'd heard about the numbness that comes with it, that they wouldn't even know that they'd hurt themselves. He knew very well what the law said when it determined that a person had leprosy. They were to tear their clothes and keep their head covered and cry out, unclean, unclean. No one was allowed to even touch them. They were known as the untouchables, separated, cut off from their home, from their community. They were expected to live outside of the city. Well, that night he slept away from his wife and children just just in case. And the next day he went to the priest to have the sores looked at, have himself examined. And the priest said, doesn't look good. Doesn't look good. We need to put you in a quarantine for seven days and then I'll re-examine you. And so they put him in a safe place away for seven long days. And after the seventh day, the priest came in and looked again and his worst fears were confirmed. The priest examined him and said, you are leprous, unclean. What a nightmare. What, what, what did I ever do, he thought to himself. What, what's happened to my life? That day his family was informed and they came to the city gate and laid his clothes and belongings down on the ground and then retreated a safe distance away so that he could come and pick them up. He retrieved them and then left alone, abandoned, never to be held by another person, never to be touched by his wife, never again to hold his children, to touch them, to hug them, to let them know he loves them, cursed to a lonely living death, dead but still alive, waiting to die literally one piece at a time. He felt like he had nothing left, nothing except this tiny little sliver of conscience that kept him from just taking his own life. And then time went by and more time went by. His clothes became rags that hung loosely on him to ease the pain of the wounds that covered his body. Tending his wounds now became his occupation. It's what he did. And yet the indignity of being a leper, the indignity of living outside of the city didn't compare to the embarrassment of having to warn others of his presence. Someone's coming, someone's coming, one of the lepers would yell, and they would quickly all have to cover their faces, and almost in unison they'd cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And what was even worse than that is he knew that the people in the community, for the most part, figured that leprosy was a curse to somebody for sins that they had done. And so they were not just considered outcasts, they were considered sinful outcasts. And he was racking his brain trying to think of what was it that I did, and he couldn't come up with anything that would deserve leprosy. 
He continued to ask God and try to figure this out, but just knew that he was the outcast, unclean. Children would recoil in horror at the sight of him. Mothers would grab their children and run for safety. The same people that he had seen in the marketplace, spoken to, done business with, would go out of their way to stay away from him. At first, his wife would come to the edge of the city to see him, to talk to him from a distance. But after a while, he told her not to come anymore because he was so distraught about the way he was beginning to look. And he didn't want her to see him in that way. He, he began hiding from her because his condition continued to deteriorate. Eventually, he was so changed that he wasn't sure if people would even recognize him. But that pain of separation, it never went away. He would sit alone at night thinking about his family around the table. And at times, the, the, the pain of loneliness, the agony of feeling abandoned would almost make him physically sick. One day, he was just off the path of where everybody was going into town and back out of town again. The, the same place where he and his wife used to meet at a distance, where he could watch people in this particular case and see them without being seen himself, hiding kind of in the rocks beside the road there. And as he was hiding there, just watching people, he heard the cry come up from a little distance away, unclean, unclean. And he looked up toward the city gate, and, and there she was, his, his wife. He stood frozen, looking at her between the rags covering his face as she began to walk down the path toward him. He, he was confident that she couldn't see him in his hiding place in the rocks. But as he looked at her, he noticed, he thought, oh, she's even more beautiful than I remember Seven years, seven long years had gone by. And to him, she looked better than ever. But those seven years had not been kind to him. He was a mass of ulcers and decay. His fingers curled and gnarled. His hair white. His voice had gone hoarse. Eyebrows and eyelashes were gone. And blotches, his skin was all blotchy and discolored. He actually stunk with the smell of pending death. She continued to come closer and closer. His heart began to beat faster and faster. She was closer than she'd ever been since that day. And then she walked to the place where they used to meet and stopped and began to look here and there. He, he, he imagined that he could almost smell her perfume, although he knew he couldn't smell anything anymore. Oh, just to touch her again, just to feel her caress on his face, to have the comfort of her closeness. She was so close, he was sure that, that he, she could hear his heart beating in his chest. It was that loud. Should he, should, he, should he say something? She hesitated, began to look around again as though she was looking for something or maybe someone. And gradually her eyes passed over his hiding place. And then she turned and slowly began to walk back. 
my love. He croaked it hoarsely between leprosy-afflicted lips, but, but to himself, just to himself. And then he watched her with tear-filled eyes begin to slowly walk back toward the city gate. And step by step, he watched her disappear through the gate. He wiped the tears from his eyes only to have his hands streaked with, with blood from the sores on his cheeks. And, and his mind screamed, why God, why me? And he dropped down on the ground, deep sobs racked his body. And he was sobbing uncontrollably once again. And then his anguish as he lay there was interrupted when he heard one of the other lepers shouting, he's here, he's coming, he's coming here. And he, and he got up and began to look around. Who is he, he asked. And the other leper said, don't you know? Don't you know it's Jesus of Nazareth? Some say he's a prophet, another, another leper said, and some say he's the Messiah. Crowds followed this Jesus everywhere. Even the lepers followed at a distance a safe distance. And in this particular case, Jesus came out and began to walk up the mountainside. And he followed. Close enough to hear, but far enough away so people wouldn't be tempted to throw rocks at him to make him leave. He had heard about this man. He had heard that, that he could cast out demons, that he could heal the sick. He had heard that he had done miraculous signs and wonders. Perhaps, maybe, oh, he didn't even dare think about that. But he followed. And then he listened. And Jesus began to speak. And as Jesus spoke on that mountainside, the crowd grew silent, listening intently. And even though he was at some distance away, he could hear what Jesus said. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's not possible, he thought. How, how can he know what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking? Does he, does he see me way over here, he thought? No, it can't be. Why would he even consider me? But Jesus seemed to be speaking directly to him. Yet, why would Jesus care about him? And as the day drew on, he continued to listen carefully to the words of Jesus. You'll read about them in Matthew 5 to 7. As Jesus spoke these different things to that particular crowd. Jesus talked about not judging others. And then he talked about continuing in prayer and not giving up on God. And he realized, man, I, I think I've given up on him a long time ago. He hasn't seemed to hear my prayers. He hasn't seemed to hear what I cried out. And, and, and I've begun to wonder. And then Jesus talked about how God wants to give good gifts to those who ask. He's that kind of father, that kind of God. And he thought to himself, I, I've asked before, but should I ask again? Dare, dare I ask? And then Jesus talked about how few people find the narrow road, but that those that do will actually bear fruit, and that fruit will make it obvious that they're in a relationship with God the Father himself. And he thought to himself, wow, 
wow, my condition has caused me to focus completely on myself, not others. And he committed as he listened to Jesus in his mind to change that and to follow the teachings of this Jesus with whatever time he had left. He listened throughout that afternoon. And as he listened, he came to believe. He believed. He, he can heal. He can heal. He can save. But would he heal or save me? Would he be willing to heal me? His mind began to race. If this Jesus, this prophet, this Messiah could make him clean, then he could go home again. And then he became convinced he can. I know he can, but will he? He, he no longer doubts Jesus' ability. He doesn't doubt Jesus' power. His only hesitation, his only uncertainty is, is the willingness of Jesus. And, and how could he find out? What could he do? His mind continued to race with all kinds of different ideas of things that he might be able to do to try to find out. And then Jesus seemed to finish his teaching, and he stood up and began to walk down the mountain towards him at that outer circle. And suddenly he realized that there was only one way to find out. And gripped by resolution, adrenaline shot through his body and coursed through his veins, and his determination exploded into action. Oh, man, what a, what a, what a communication in the crowd. The crowd started getting all excited. You could see the crowd yelling and moving and screaming, and stuff was going. People were scattering to the right and to the left as he used that hated call to make room for himself. Unclean, unclean, unclean. And he began to come into the middle of the crowd, and the crowd scattered, yelling at him. Melted away as he approached Jesus, a leper, a leper. Look out for the unclean one. Look out for the leper. He came breaking the law, knowing he was breaking the law. He was forbidden to come close to non-lepers. But here he was, risking the anger of the crowd and the stones they might throw, ignoring the curses and insults that they hurled at him. He made his way toward Jesus. The crowd melted like magic before him, letting him go and also letting him know in un no uncertain terms about their displeasure of his appearance. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? But he kept coming with determination born out of despair. His single goal was to get in front of Jesus and he dared to approach Jesus. He dared to come before Jesus and he dared to ask Jesus to make the unclean clean. And when he finally reached Jesus, the crowd had backed off and left them alone because they were so afraid of that leprosy. And he dropped down on his knees before Jesus and cried out the question that had been in his heart and mind throughout the afternoon. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. A leper dared to talk to Jesus dared to walk right up to him without staying the appropriate distance away. How would Jesus react? How could he get the man to go away without touching him? And then it happened. Who would have thought it? But almost in slow motion, as if Jesus wanted there to be no doubt about his intent, he reached out and touched him. He 
touched him. He actually touched the leper. The one thing no one thought he would do, not even a leper, he touched him. That contagious man, the one who was unclean, the one who was literally rotting to death, the one who for years no one had touched. Jesus touched him. Jesus touched him. And then as he looked up into Jesus's face, Jesus looked deep into his eyes and he said, I am willing. Be made clean. And then the scales began to drop off his skin. It became whole. The sores began to heal over and disappear. Eyebrows and eyelashes began to return. The numbness was replaced by the rush of blood throughout his body. Even the foul odor began to disappear. Oh, deep sorrow was replaced with inexpressible joy. And as all of that happened on his knees with Jesus' hand on him, then Jesus quietly told him, don't tell anybody. Go and show yourself to the priest. Let him examine you and then make the sacrifices necessary. Oh. He leaped to his feet and began to run down the mountain to see the priest, the crowd parting the way, looking on in wonder, wondering what exactly all went on. Now, he knew the drill. He knew the drill. The priest would check him out, and then he would have to wait another seven days and then check him again. And if he was still healed, the priest would then offer sacrifices on his behalf, and then he would be considered clean and be able to rejoin his family. Wow. Can you imagine what a joyful seven days that was? Ah, maybe some anxiousness and anticipation at night being restored. And, and the dreams that he had had when he was a leper, and he'd wake up going, and he'd dream about not having leprosy, about being with his family around the table, and he'd wake up and look at himself only to find out, no, it was only a dream. I'm still, I'm still rotting away. But now, now he, he could have a dream about being a leper and wake up in the morning and look at himself and go, no, no, it's not true. I'm still clean. I'm still whole. I've been healed. Jesus has touched me. And after seven days, the priest looked at him again, checked him over everywhere. Was, was, was the, you're healed. You're healed. I'll do a sacrifice for you and you can go and start a new life all over again. Jesus gave him wholeness, not just physically, but more important, spiritually. And he did it by touching the leper and then stating his willingness to do that and saying, be made clean. And he says to us, unclean one, be clean. Impure one, be pure. Broken one, be restored. Empty one, be filled. Mourning one, be comforted. Shackled one, be free. It's the message he has for you, me. See, every single one of us, friends, is a spiritual leper needing God's touch. In the Old Testament, leprosy was a symbol of that judgment of sin. What sin does for us when we sin is it separates us from God. It's an uncleanness, a decay. It cuts us off from God's presence. God, who is life himself, 
And sin then eats away at our soul and spirit. And we have to face the fact that we are affected by the worst of diseases. Sin is the worst of diseases. And just like the leper, though, if we dare approach him, if we dare kneel before him and ask him, you will find him willing to touch you, to make you whole, to minister to you. Ah, it might be in ways you do not expect. And it might not be just exactly what you have in mind. But God makes it very clear it will be what's best. And that we can trust our Father with those thoughts. Can't help but wonder how many of us are suffering at the edges of the crowd. Perhaps from an illness that has racked your body, or maybe you've gone through some very difficult things financially, relationally. Maybe a bitter divorce, or you live alone, or you feel abandoned, you're rejected. Maybe an addiction has cost you a great amount, eats away at you. Or maybe you just feel ugly or unwanted, unlovable, unclean. Can I tell you something? You're not lost in the crowd. Jesus sees you. He cares about you. What you are going through, where you're at, and he actually wants to touch you. But you must come to him. That leper, he reached a place where he didn't care what people thought. He didn't care what he looked like. He wasn't concerned about his reputation. He only cared about asking Jesus, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you need a touch from Jesus today, for whatever reason it is, if you are ready to say, I don't care what it looks like, I just want to be touched by Jesus. Lord, I don't care what anybody else thinks. I don't care about my reputation. I don't care about, about anything, Lord, but I want a touch from you. I need a touch from you. Are you willing, Lord, to make me clean, to touch me in ways that you know are best? If you're in a place where you want that touch for yourself, or maybe you've been praying desperately for somebody else, for Jesus to touch them, to make a difference in their life. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Because you know what? We have to be willing to step out and say, Lord, I'm willing to ask. I'm willing to ask. I don't care what other people think. He'll recognize that. And then I'd like to pray that he would just do that. And then after prayer, we're going to have a chance of communion. And, and uh, Hayden's going to come back up here for, uh, to play some worship while we do that. So if, if you're in a place right now for yourself or for somebody else where you're saying, Lord, I just need a touch from you. I want a touch from you. I want you to raise your hand right now and we'll go to pray. Just raise it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, right now, Jesus, you see every hand that's up. You know the stories behind those hands. You know if they were on the outer edge of the crowd. You know if they have felt leprous. You know the sin that's involved in their lives. And you love them. 
So right now, Lord Jesus, I am praying by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would minister them, that you would begin to touch them, that whatever it is that's engaged in their lives, you would make a difference in it. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you can do that. Thank you that we can trust you with that. Thank you, Lord, that you care for us, that you see us, and that you'll touch us. Be about that. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for raising your hands. As we, as we uh, worship the Lord, uh, I just want to encourage you, the communion is off on both sides. The people will have the prayer team. I'm going to ask the prayer team to go get communion first so that as soon as you're done, you can go to the back by the cross back there. If there are things you would like prayer for in addition, they'll be back there to pray for you uh, while, we, while we continue to worship. So let's, let's worship the Lord together.